Wedge Issues is brought to you by Wispolitics.com, a place where political insiders go for news, opinion, and campaign information. Once again, that's Wispolitics.com. When Ray Cross was a high school student, he thought he would probably end up working on a farm. When he went on to college, he thought he might like to work on cars. Today, he is the president of the University of Wisconsin System, a role he's held for five years. I'm Jesse Opoyan, and this is Wedge Issues, a Cap Times podcast about state government and politics in Wisconsin. As the state legislature's budget committee prepares to take up the UW system's budget, Ray Cross joined me to talk about what he does as president of the UW system, what the system's role is in the state of Wisconsin, and what he hopes to see come from the budget that the legislature sends to Governor Tony Evers. Stay tuned for that conversation in just a minute. But first, Cap Times reporter Eric Lawrenson and I will round up the week's news in state politics. Hello, Eric. Hello, Jesse. How's it going? It's going pretty well. How are you doing? I am great. Yeah, there's been a lot of talk about the Bucks and basketball amongst my friends. My trivia team did very poorly last night, I'm sorry to say, because everyone was watching basketball. Well, yeah, that that makes sense. Um, Yeah, it's been a a hot topic in our newsroom here. As our coworker, Caitlin Farrell, learns all about the Bucks, she really didn't know anything about that. It's a real voyage of discovery. It's been really fun. It's great. Yeah. Um, She's very skeptical of the Fear of the Deer slogan. Why is she skeptical of that? She thinks in Wisconsin, uh, since we hunt deer and eat deer, that they are not to be feared. And it is silly to implore people to fear the deer. I I, I see her point, but I raise her a situation in which you are facing down a deer, Mm -hmm. in which you are without gun. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I would fear that deer. Maybe there is a deer that is feeling a little bit... uh, Irritated. Mm-hmm. I, I, I would be a little bit afraid of a deer. They're very big animals. They are large animals. They can do damage to a vehicle. Oh, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Well, the Bucks have been huge news in Wisconsin over the last few weeks because of their winning all the time at basketball. But there's also political stuff going on, too, namely stuff going on with our state budget approval process. It continues. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Well, first of all, I think the, the biggest news, the biggest budgetary news this week had to do with um, uh, Republicans striking a deal about K-12 education funding. In the proposed budget, Governor Tony Evers, he proposed about $1.4 billion worth of K-12 funding, mainly coming um, in the form of uh, special education funding. The Republicans have come up with funding levels that are considerably short of that. Why don't you tell us a little bit more about what is in this GOP proposal for K-12 education? Sure. Um, you know, the, the 
main contention here is uh, you know, Tony Evers proposed that $1.4 billion with a B dollar increase when he was still state superintendent of public instruction, and, and he's followed that plan as governor. Uh, and like you said, there was a really heavy focus on special ed funding. It's going to be a $600 million increase in special ed funding in that budget proposal. Uh, Republicans have said, of course, they want to put more money into schools, but not that much money. They say that's unrealistic. Where does it come from? Um, and if you look at sort of the key funding mechanisms of w- everything that Evers has proposed, a lot of that counts on accepting the federal Medicaid expansion, which puts more federal funds into our budget and allows the state to spend on other things. So with Republicans stripping that out of the budget, there are fewer funds available mm-hmm. without raising property taxes significantly or, or raising taxes in some other way, which is something that they're opposed to. So like you said, they're looking at a $500 million increase in spending, which is still an increase, but not a $1.4 billion increase. Um, on special ed funding, they have agreed to increase it by $100 million, um, which is more than they were initially talking about, but I think still for some advocates in, in the community that's served by those services, um, you know, those funds have not gone up for a long time. And so, um, you know, the the $600 million increase was much preferable to $100 million. Um, so, you know, Tony, Ever, it, uh, uh, and, and both of the proposals, both coming from Democrats and from Republicans, would bring uh, the state back to funding two-thirds of public education costs. Um, Mm -hmm. So they agree on that. They agree on things like increasing mental health services. Evers is saying this Republican proposal doesn't do enough. It doesn't do enough to make up for cuts that were put into place um, when Governor Walker was in office. Um, Republicans are continuing to say, how are you going to pay for it? And um, most notably, I think, Senator Luther Olson, a Republican who's been really involved in, in the budget, pro- um, a Republican senator who's been really involved in education issues and has a pretty decent working relationship with Tony Evers, is saying the smart thing to do would be accept this proposal because mm. it's not going to get better than this. And that two-thirds number, that harkens back to a vow that Tommy Thompson made way back in the day. And lately, it's kind of come back into political rhetoric. Back in the gubernatorial election, both candidates promised they would basically reinstate that promise to hit that two-thirds funding marker, which had not been hit for quite some time. It is something that um, we are now seeing that two-thirds mark actually getting met. It seems that voters have made it pretty clear that public education funding is important to them. They've gone to referendums at um, pretty staggering rates to raise their own taxes to pay for uh, services and improvements that their schools need. And uh, I think state legislators are starting to reflect that attitude in the Capitol. Well, that was kind of the big news coming out of state government this week. But we got a couple of quick hits that we wanted to mention, some other stories that we wanted to call attention to. One other item in the budget to note was that um, Republicans on the Joint Finance Committee okayed a pay bump for prison guards in Wisconsin. There's been ongoing concerns about staffing levels at prisons in Wisconsin. This was a measure that was kind of targeting that issue. Yeah, I mean, for for years uh, we've been looking at the issue of 
prison guards, um, like you said, not having enough of them, and as a result, uh, having to have a lot of overtime, um, not really having a good pay incentive to do the job, um, which not only is a reflection on the morale of the workers, but also you know translates into how inmates uh, experience their life in, in a correctional facility. So. Um, Tony Evers had introduced his own plan, uh, and it would have, I think, been a little bit more selective in the uh, institutions that saw that funding. Republicans are looking to take a more across-the-board approach with that, um, and we'll see if it ends up somewhere in the middle or if, um, if one side or the other gets their way. But either way, it looks like this is a priority. One other thing that we wanted to talk about was, and let's see if I can say this right on the first take, perfluorinated chemicals. You got it. I did it. I think you got it. I mean, I'm not a scientist. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Let's say I did. I think you did. Cool, cool. Tell us a little bit about what the governor had to say about toxic chemicals and firefighting foam this week. Yeah, this has been, um, this story really actually hits close to home, literally for me, because um, a lot of the contamination issues that we've seen in the state have occurred in Marinette, where I'm from, yeah, um, and w- where the Joint Finance Committee co-chair, John Nigren, is also from. So um, there's a company there called Tyco that's a a subsidiary of Johnson Controls, and they manufacture and test this firefighting foam that has chemicals in it that are known as now forever chemicals or perfluorinated chemicals because they really don't break down easily or, or at all. And, and um, a good number of private wells in the Marinette area, as well, as well as some offshore area of Green Bay, have seen contamination there uh, coming from these chemicals, and Tyco is in the middle of a a cleanup process there. These chemicals have also been found at military sites throughout the state, um, at Truax here in Madison, at other places. And so it's a growing concern, and, um, you know, what's done is done in some regard, but there's uh, effort being made to stop the use or rein in the use of those chemicals. So Tony Evers has said he will support efforts to uh, allow stricter regulation of the use of those chemicals. We're going to see, as we often do, dueling proposals coming from the Capitol on this. Democrats have proposed allowing the DNR to be a a stronger regulator of this um, and putting more, uh, I think, punishment directives on the companies to make sure that they have cleanup initiatives in place. Republicans are looking at a bill that would limit companies' use of those chemicals, um, and it, it says less about the regulatory uh, mechanisms in place. It sounds like this is an area that everyone can agree on. It's just going to be a question of how do you get there in the end. One other news story has to do with a federal politician, our congressman um, here in the 1st District. Mark Pocan said that he is in favor of impeachment hearings, which is something that you're going to be able to talk more with him about when he's on the podcast next week. That's right. He's our our next guest next week. He'll be here to um, talk about that and all kinds of other things that are going on in in Washington. But yeah, this is new. Uh, You know, it's been Mark Pocan has certainly uh, been a, a longtime critic of President Trump, but has not called for any sort of uh, step toward impeachment necessarily. Um, And we're starting to see sort of uh, division within the Democratic ranks in Washington. Um, You know, some seem to think that it might be do more harm than good to open up an impeachment effort. But um, there's also the argument that you don't necessarily have to move to impeach. You can just start the hearing process in an effort to give Congress a little more 
teeth in its efforts to to get members of the Trump administration to appear before them and, and testify and um, answer to their subpoenas. So Mark Pocan has said, you know, not, not saying he is ready for impeachment, the process to begin, but to start those hearings and the inquiry. And we'll talk about that next week. Let's also uh, very quickly give an update to a conversation you had on the podcast last week all about the abortion measures um, that have been taken up by uh, legislative Republicans. Governor Tony Evers um, announced earlier this week to no one's surprise that he was going to veto the, the four bills that are making their way through the legislature right now, including the uh, Born Alive measure, which in particular has gotten a lot of attention. Um, I believe his his words were, were that he's a governor who listens to women. Um, and so, yeah, uh, if those bills do get approved, as it's looking likely like they would be, they would not get executive approval from Governor Evers. That's right. And at this point, unless some Democrats decided to switch sides on that issue, there would not be uh, enough people in the legislature to override that veto. All right. Well, that's the week in news. That's the week in news. Yeah. Cool. Thanks for joining me. Yeah. Also, Eric just uh, had an awesome story in the Cap Times this week on millennial burnout, which most of our staff is a little bit familiar with, as there are many millennials. But if you haven't read that, you should, because it was enlightening. I found that being a journalist is really chill, and I've never felt burned out once in my life. Yeah, it's a very reasonable (laughs) schedule. (laughs) Like, really, no working late, no long hours. I don't think you've ever worked late in your life. No, definitely haven't stayed at the Capitol for 24 hours. That sounds absurd. Or at least more than twice. (laughs) (laughs) But now we've got Brianna Riley working at oh the Capitol. Gosh. She's our yes. new state government and politics I can't we reporter. Didn't announce this. Yes. Yeah, she started this week and she's already doing an awesome job as we all knew she would. Tons of bylines already. Um, so she's the one that we're relying on for all of our news now. She brought in brownies on her first day. Who she did. does that? Brianna Riley. Strong out of the gates. Yeah. Man, incredible. Good brownies too. Very good. Well, I'll talk to you next week, Jesse. Sounds good. Thanks. been president of the UW system for five years now, is that right? Five years. Um, so for, for people who see your name in the news and, and hear about the University of Wisconsin system, but don't know what the president of a university system does, what do you do? <laughs> there are probably a lot of people asking that, Jesse. That, <laughs> what does that guy do? Uh, I Obviously, I have executive responsibility for managing and leading the organization, but it, it's articulated in, in statutory language quite carefully as to what my specific responsibilities, a responsibility for all curriculum, all all uh, personnel uh, issues of that, all student that it's which is an exaggeration, obviously. But it, it's a delicate balance between the system's role and an institutional role. Many systems are much more what I would call union-oriented as opposed to confederacy-focused. And our system is designed to be a mixture of both in certain areas. And your, your job, I mean, you're working within the system, and there's also a significant amount of external relations. You have to go to the Capitol, talk to politicians, deal with um, reporters like myself, and you're, you've got to kind of straddle both of those lines. 
Actually, that role, that external role, is probably one of the largest responsibilities of this position, communicating to those parties um, the value and importance of the university uh, at a time when nationally the university is uh, under some distress as uh, the population tends to view an education less positively than it has in the past. So you have a, a varied background. You've got experience in, in engineering and uh, consulting. What, when you were in college, when you were an undergrad, what did you want to do with your career? <laughs> well, when I was in high school, I actually wanted to be a farmer. I was <laughs> raised on a farm, yeah. and um, so that was something I wanted to do. And then when I was in college, I really simply wanted to be, I wanted to have something to do with cars. Uh, and I, I, I enjoyed working on cars. I, I still do. I'm not very good at it, Jesse, but I still enjoy <laughs> it. So. so you were looking at, at cars, and what is the path that led you from farming to cars to <laughs> leading a large statewide university system? Well, it's certainly a convoluted path. There's no question about that. But I, I was working in an engineering department in Michigan at Hanchett Corporation and uh, was asked to teach an evening class in engineering graphics uh, at, at Ferris Local University. And, uh, and so they came to me and said, could you do this on a, on a one-year one contract? So I did, and, the, and then the, and they put me into a tenure-track path and said, let's work, work with you to get a Ph.D., and that's what I did. You also, I know, were awarded four medals for your service in the Army in, in Vietnam. Um, how did that influence the, the way you've approached your life, both personally and professionally? Well, uh, this being Memorial Day weekend, uh, yeah. it has special meaning for me. It, it means something more than it did before I went to Vietnam. Uh, obviously, there are uh, many of my friends aren't here any longer because of that. Uh, and their sacrifices of great value, and we sometimes take that for granted in a country like this. The military taught me a lot about leadership. I worked for three different West Point graduates who were just exceptional. I have a lot of respect for the type of leadership they develop in the military. Now, that doesn't fit into an <laughs> academic arena, and for that matter, for a lot of corporate, corporate sure. <laughs> capability either. So it, 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 it's, it's still, there's an, there's an element of ethics, a commitment to individuals, uh, a personal responsibility, a sense of responsibility that's important, not just with the lives, but with the livelihood of the people with whom you work. So what brought you to Wisconsin? I know you've had experience in the system long before you became chancellor, but what, what brought you here? I, I was at uh, Morrisville State in New York, which is a part of the SUNY system, and um, a headhunter, headhunter called me and said, Ray, you ought to really take a look at this chancellor job in Wisconsin, and you've been nominated for this job. And I said, who in the world nominate me for that? <laughs> and, and I said, Chuck, I'm, I'm, I'm not interested. I'm going to stay here till I retire. I'm not interested in moving. Ray, you really need to take a look at this. So I, to satisfy him, I basically sent it in. And then the next thing, you know, the rest is history. And, sure. <laughs> and I really, to, to, to be honest, Jesse, I didn't think I was going to take the job, uh, that I was really that interested um, after the semifinalist stuff and then the finals. During the finalist interviews, though, something clicked. There was something that I really enjoyed about the people at Extension and colleges and the commitment they made to serve students and the people of the state. 
one more question about you before we move into the greater system. It's not on your biography on the website, but I've been told that you have a little bit of baseball experience. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I'm a baseball nut. I lived and died to play baseball when I was a kid and uh, and obviously thoroughly enjoyed it. Uh, uh, think I'm, I used to think I was pretty good. Probably wasn't, but uh, uh, I had a chance to play. I had a chance to be, uh, you know, try out and play for some professional teams. But Uncle Sam said, "No, we want you. We want you on our team instead." <laughs> so that's where I went. So no, no major leagues for you, but no, no. almost. Wedge Issues is sponsored by Wispolitics.com. You can become a Wispolitics.com member. Find out more at Wispolitics.com slash membership. You, you mentioned early on um, this sort of national tide that is not favoring higher education, um, and it's something that trickles down a little bit here in Wisconsin. So what are some of the sort of biggest challenges challenges and opportunities of uh, running a university system and, and trying to uh, continue to preserve that higher education institution? Probably never in the history of the world, let alone the history of America, the United States, have we ever needed uh, higher education more than we do today. I think two-thirds of the individuals going to college at my and late in the '60s, we're we're going there to become a better person. To, how do I fit in with society? And uh, today, just about everybody goes to college to get a job, to prepare for a job, to, so they can make money. And uh, it, it's too bad because um, the. the Higher education plays a role in helping us become better people. And I claim there are four reasons to go to college. We go to college to become a better person, to look inward. Who am I? Why am I here? What am I supposed to be doing in this world? Cardinal Newman, who wrote the book, The Idea of a University, he also talks about, how, now, how do I fit with the community? How do I serve the community? I'm a member of this community. Do I understand that I'm not just an individual? I'm a part of the community. Third is Jefferson's... Uh, uh, criteria that in order to sustain a democracy, we needed a, we need an educated populace. Uh, preparing good citizens in a democracy is critically important where we get to elect our leaders and the people who are representative. And finally, you, you, in order to do a lot of this, you have to be able to participate in the economy. That's, that's a given fact. We know that. Uh, but if that's the only reason you go to a college or a university, you, you've missed something. You've missed a lot. If you ask the survey the right way, you ask the questions in the survey the right way, people are just as positive about higher education. It's just that they see some of our flaws, and I think that deters them a bit. Sure. I mean, college affordability is a huge conversation, um, has been at the state level, and I think it's going to play a pretty big role in presidential elections. And, um, you know, there's a lot of moving parts to that, but I, I know that that's something that has um, been a topic of conversation year after year. Um, the university, I know you just uh, had an audit that looked at sort of who is who is coming to the University of Wisconsin schools and uh, found that we're seeing fewer in-state students coming to Uni University of Wisconsin schools. You're relying more on out-state students. Uh, is that a concern or is that sort of just inevitable? Um, or how is the university looking at that? 
Well, first of all, uh, the fewer students coming from Wisconsin to the university, oh, I'm going to say 2010 to 2009, there were somewhere around 74,000 high school graduates. Today, there are about 64,000. Sure. There's fewer high school graduates, too. Secondly, we're being aggressive to go after what's often referred to as the non-traditional student. Increasingly, they're becoming the traditional students over 25. Mm -hmm. There's about 750,000 of them in the state of Wisconsin, people with some degree or some college, but not a degree. And that's why we've expanded the UW-Flex. We've expanded online work. We're trying to make it convenient for them. Uh, And that's actually helped some of our enrollment. The third part is is really important. The university is the very best magnet for bol- for pulling in undeveloped talent, uh, helping to retain talent by 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 making education high quality education available to the students or families of of potential employees. We we are the best vehicle the state has for doing that, uh, and we want to do more of that. So bringing people here is important. Well, okay, you get them in the university, and they're in the university, then they graduate and leave. Well, that's when our partnership with businesses means something much more. We need to be able to provide internships, expose those students to businesses in Wisconsin, and keep them here. And recently, Oshkosh just increased its retention numbers enormously. That is, after they graduate, we typically have been in the 20, 25% range, maybe a little less than that. Mm-hmm. They're up in the 35%. The efforts we're making to retain talent in this state within the university in partnership with businesses have been going well. You mentioned you know, a number of programs and changes that have been new to the university. Um, I think one of the big headline items over the last few years and will continue to be into the next year is the, uh, I think the, the university term is restructuring, otherwise the sort of the merging of um, some of the two-year campuses with the four-year campuses. Can you uh, first just give a little update on on where that process is and maybe speak a little bit to why that was the right move for the system. This, this has exceeded our expectations in terms of success. Several other states have called me and talked about how, how did you do this? And Connecticut has, uh, Connecticut tried and failed. Their accrediting body didn't let them. We recently received full accreditation for this. Further, we simply expanded this whole guaranteed transfer. As you may recall, Jesse, the numbers in terms of transferring from those former two-year campuses to the four-year campuses, those transfer numbers were dropping, the percentages transferred. That's the whole purpose for those campuses. So we have expanded this guaranteed transfer and reinforced that. That is, if you enroll and successfully complete the program at any one of these two-year campuses, you will be guaranteed transfer to another campus, including Madison, within the system. So it's a, it's a really inexpensive way, and of course that was another goal, maintain affordability for students who cannot afford to obviously quit their jobs and go, go someplace else. So we've been amazingly successful. What a student said to me the other day that I really liked, this is the same as it was before, but now we have more opportunities. The, the system is joining a national effort to work on sexual harassment prevention efforts. Um, what does that program look like for UW? The policies that we've developed several years ago, three years ago, we started this process, and um, I'm really pleased with this. It took the task force, which frustrated me, to be candid, Jesse, it took them almost a year and a half mm-hmm. to complete this policy. But in the end, it was really well done, and I'm, I'm really pleased with that. Now, 
it's it's so easy to say, well, we've got all these written policies. Look at this. Look, we're we're really good. Let's check the box. We got all this. We got all this. It's the culture that has to change that makes a difference. And just because we have these policies and we're transparent about how we're going to deal with these issues, so everybody understands that, when a student who has who is the victim of harassment or sexual assault is afraid to come forward, we haven't gained anything. So at the, t- the time we're talking, we're in the middle of the state budget process and really on the cusp of the UW budget coming before the Joint Finance Committee and the negotiations that will follow. Um, you know, we, we've seen what Tony Evers has proposed, which was um, more funding uh, than, than what the university requested, but done in different ways. You had uh, requested that be tied to performance metrics. He did not. How does what has been proposed so far square with what are the priorities for the University of Wisconsin system? And what would you like to be top of mind for lawmakers as they move forward in these negotiations? Well, I'm actually pretty pleased. At this point, Regardless of which side of the aisle you talk to, uh, it seems as we have sh- as though we have shared priorities. Yeah, compensation is really important for us. We need that in order to attract and retain talent. And both sides of the aisle, they differ with us a little bit about how much and how to do it. What are the what are the needs of Wisconsin right now? And we ask each campus to identify that what they could do to Im- improve their ability to to meet those needs. Uh, and they provided us a list, and, and Governor Evers proposed moving that. We had it in the second year of the budget. He, he proposed, he liked it so much, he moved it to the front. Well, um, the Republicans like it a lot, too, so they, they've been very positive about that. And that's a reflection of our shared priorities. How do we meet the needs of Wisconsin? We don't have a problem with the performance-based funding. I think we're, we want people to be patient as we work our way through that so it doesn't inappropriately penalize somebody that's uh, and, it, and it properly rewards behavior. It doesn't just become a, a some sort of a tool to hammer people over the head. I think the shared priorities and our ability to help explain how this will help the state of Wisconsin and an investment in the university at this time is an investment in the future of the state. Uh, I, th- I think we've that message is shared. What is the university system doing to ensure that faculty and staff morale is high and, and that people want to come and teach in Wisconsin? Well, one of the things I often talk about is how, why is it the University of Wisconsin at Madison is always in the top five of this year at six, but it's always in the top five of public universities receiving research grants. We did that with outstanding talent. Uh, faculty that are invested in research and are committed to do that. With the help of an entity like WARF, which allowed faculty to have ownership in the projects that they create. It, we're such a fundamental creator of, of, of not just talent, but of businesses. At, we spawn them in ways and th- through ideas in our labs. And I think that, that that's the that's the real attraction. Now, compensation has to be there. I'm not belittling that, and that's really important. We constantly are comparing our different levels, whether it's professor, associate professor, assistant, with with our peer institutions around the country, and we're below. We're we are below our peer, not in all categories, but in in many, uh, and and that's important. And they continue to raise their salaries, and if we don't, we fall further behind. 
so, uh, a phrase that I've heard in the the context of conversations about UW is return on investment, and um, you you used it even in a recent op-ed that you wrote. What is the return on investment to the state of Wisconsin when it invests in UW system? Jesse, I'm glad you asked that. <laughs> I thought you might be. <laughs> it's, it's an incredible return on investment. It it really is. For the state's investment, it's a 23 to 1 return. For every dollar the state invests, uh, the university has a return of about $23. It's an incredible return on that. I'm talking, we're talking about pure, we're not talking about better life. We're not talking about spawning other businesses over here. We're talking about just a straight return on that investment. It's an incredible return. So thanks for asking that question. <laughs> no problem. So uh, one more kind of broad question before we move into the non uh, academic lightning round, but uh, what uh, what is the role that you see you know, sort of uh, on, a, on a broad level, the University of Wisconsin system playing in the state? What is the um, the function of the system in Wisconsin? Um, something I've always envied everywhere I've been is the expression of the Wisconsin idea that the university should have an impact on uh, everybody in this state. Too often at the time that idea was conceived and it was expressed in different ways. But th at that time, um, the fear was that the private colleges would be uh, would be beholden to their donors and not be and not be uh, serving the people, the average person. And what made Wisconsin different uh, was that we were committed to making sure the university had an impact on the lives of everyone in this state. Uh, that is the role of a public university. How can we improve your lives? What can we do that betters the lives of people everywhere? We want to make the lives better of every person that lives in this state. Are you ready for a few lightning round questions? Probably not, but go ahead. All right. <laughs> do you have a favorite Wisconsin beer? Yeah. I don't drink. Well, then you don't have a favorite <laughs> Wisconsin beer. <laughs> You're not the first one to come in here with that answer. I'm finding that's more and more common. Is it really? <laughs> yeah, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, uh, in that case, do you have a favorite uh, restaurant to go to in the state? Uh, I enjoy a lot of different restaurants, so it's hard for me to pick uh, anyone. But I've actually enjoy I enjoy holes in the wall, so little places that have unique. You know, they have. As an old farm boy, I love to go out for breakfast at a lot of these home you know, these old hole in the wall. So I enjoy those kinds of places, and we don't have as many of them around Madison as <laughs> I like. That's true, yeah. Uh, but some of these unique places, I, I really enjoy that. So. What is the best advice that you have been given, if you can recall? Hmm. Depends on the trouble I was in at the time. <laughs> Fair um, enough. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure I would call it advice as, as much as observation. Um, in Vietnam, we had been um, hit, and we lost a couple of, um, of fellows in our company. And we gathered for a little, uh, the chaplain came out, gathered for a little ceremony. And uh, the captain at that time, uh, Captain Reed, uh, was emotionally distraught. And I could tell he didn't say much, but then when he came in, he came in to, over to the tent, talked to me. He sat down, and he just sat there and cried. And it's my fault. It's my. It's all my fault. Uh, that sense of responsibility, as expressed through him, uh, was really moving for me. He felt responsible, and I knew he wasn't. And he had nothing to do with that. And uh, 
they had stepped on a mine and he had kept telling them, don't get off your dozer, don't get off your dozer, stay on your dozer, you'll be safe. And they'd gotten off, they totally ignored him, I guess, and stepped on a mine. So on this Memorial Day, I think it's fitting that we probably say something, that I say something that that advice was more observational than it was um, actual words of advice. Do you have a a role model or or several role models, people who have guided you along the way? Well, everybody says their dad (laughs) uh, and their mother. Obviously, that's true. That's really, really important. And my dad is a kind of a quiet farmer. We were poor farmers. Uh, We had a lot in that uh, dad was a very hardworking, but had an eighth grade education, but a very ethical and honest, upright person. and I went to a one-room school through the eighth grade. And so the person other than my parents that had a huge impact on me was that one-room school teacher. And it's true, if you have a one-room school, you either have a great teacher or you don't have. <laughs> sure. It's pretty straightforward. <laughs> and she was pretty fantastic. Tough. Oh, my goodness, was she tough. But, but she always was uh, kind to me um, and, and believed that I was – um, that I was sloughing off, I could do much better. That was that was her constant complaint about me. <laughs> He's capable of much more. I don't know why he won't do it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure she'd be proud now. <laughs> uh, are you currently reading anything, or is there anything that you've read recently that has stood out to you? Yeah, I not too long ago I finished um, uh, Truman by uh, uh, by McCullough, David McCullough's book, and of course he won the Pulitzer for that. Mm-hmm. It's a great book on Truman, and Truman is uh, someone I admire, um, uh, along with Ronald Reagan. I admire both of those as as having uh, uh, what I would call rising above their party and um, and making some incredibly difficult decisions. Um, uh, Truman with McCarthy in particular, and and obviously Ronald Reagan with. Uh, with Soviet Union and so forth. But I, I just admire uh, both of those folks a lot. Um, are you a music guy at all? <laughs> My wife is a piano teacher, and uh, I have four children, three boys and a girl. My, the daughter is my youngest. And and she um, she and her husband have been nominated for the three Grammys. She's a piano and voice teacher, and he's, wow. a, vocal, he's a vocal professor at South, University of South Dakota. So, yeah, all my kids play instruments, and, and I've— you know, I just sit there and admire them. Well, it sounds like you've got something to admire. That's pretty cool. Uh, do you have a favorite vacation destination in Wisconsin or outside of Wisconsin? I wouldn't call it a vacation destination because I like to stay home and go to a Brewers game or sure. go do something like that when I'm on vacation. But uh, most of the time, my vacations revolve around my kids and my grandkids. And uh, so wherever they are is probably the best place. You ready for your last one? I don't know. It depends. <laughs> well, we'll see. Uh, what's your favorite Wisconsin cheese? Ooh. Now, I may get the name of this incorrect. They, they won a blue ribbon at a recent, well, I think it was two years ago now, just amazing international blue ribbon. It's either Prairie Ridge or Pleasant Ridge. Pleasant Ridge Reserve. It's, yeah. Yeah. That is I a great that cheese. cheese. <laughs> it's a great cheese. It's a, it's a um, cheese that's made from unpasteurized milk, and uh, it's made over here in the, in the southwestern part of the state. Yeah, yeah got a lot lots to offer there in the cheese yeah. department. It's really good, Jessica. <laughs> well, thank you so much for coming in and, and having this conversation. It's been great. Yeah, likewise. I enjoyed it. Music soft and sweet, just like the girls I like to meet.
Thank you for listening to Wedge Issues. Our theme music is O Wisconsin by Loxley. We'll be back every Friday with new episodes, so make sure you're subscribed on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts so you can stay up to date. If you have feedback or suggestions for me, you can find me on Twitter at jessieop, or you can email me at j-o-p-o-i-e-n at madison.com. While you're waiting for new Wedge Issues episodes, you can also listen to our other Cap Times podcasts like The Madsplainers and The Corner Table. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you next week. Wedge Issues has been brought to you by wispolitics.com. There are plenty of benefits to becoming a member. You can go to wispolitics.com slash membership to find out more.